Welcome to Sin 315. We're here to encourage and equip Christians to engage in the adventure of sharing Jesus with those that God puts into their life. And we're so glad you're here. Matthew? Yep. We're in February. I can't believe it. I know. I can't believe it, it either. What year is it? Yeah, it's going by. Oh, it's, all, it's, it's shrieking past us quickly. But what does February mean to you here with Sense 315? It means let's go. Yeah. Let's go because we're launching our mobilization campaign. I'm excited to hear some stories about people leading people to the Lord or just things <laughs> that I'm just excited about hearing the fruit. Yeah, me too. So. Me too. And you know, one of the things for February is we're putting up the testimonials oh. and the testimonials, they weren't all on the show, but as everybody knows, Miguel, I wish yeah. I could get Rocky back, but he's in heaven. Uh, so that one got Yeah, away. he ain't coming back. Yeah. Maybe I'll still use one of his. Yeah. You know, what's exciting to me about this is that this is kind of the culmination for me of 30 years of being allowed to play in what I really enjoy, maybe except for the grandkids, I enjoy no, sharing Jesus yeah. like more you than anything. It. But with all of that said, today's guest, and not in a bad way, he just makes me feel like such a rookie. It's like I'm tinkering around here. And oh, isn't that cute? And he didn't make me feel that way because he's saying I'm such a big shot, but I've been following Kevin Harney. Yeah. I think since his first book came out in 2009, Kevin? Dang. That sounds about right. I don't know if that's the first one. It's the first one. Kevin Harney, number one, in my mind, is an evangelist. And number two, he is the perpetrator of organic, mm. which, you know what, Matt, I've been looking for years to find a different word than evangelism mm -hmm. because it, it tends to have a stigma. It has connotations know? for yeah, sure. it can. And so when I first stumbled across organic outreach, I went, oh, it's natural. Mm -hmm. This happens. We just do this naturally and outreach is looking out and that's what we're talking about. And I went, you know what, sooner or later, I will catch up with Kevin Harney, and he'll be on the show, and here we go. Kevin That's Harney. That's cool. That's inspiring. Welcome to the show. Welcome. Hey, it's absolutely my joy and privilege, and I got to say, I love both your hearts and your passion, just the fact that you would reach out and want to talk about these things, and really, I'm so excited as you were giving me kind of a pulling back the veil and showing me in the life of your church that this month, this February is a huge, huge month for you guys. And I'm honored to be part of this. Yeah, right on. Well, and like I said before we went on, give me a name of somebody I should have had on instead of you, and neither one of us could come up with one. Right. This is just perfect because quite frankly, you're teaching, and I want you to get into it. I want you to tell the people that are listening, and by the way, Sent 315s on First Peter 315, and it's about regular people sharing their faith the way God made them and with gentleness and respect. And so we're talking to regular folks who just want to share Jesus more and yeah. better and intentionally. How'd you get involved in all of this? How did this all start for you? Well, it started when I was 15, almost 16, born and raised in Southern California, and uh, born and raised in what I describe as a loving, healthy pagan home. <laughs> my parents loved each other. I did their 50th renewal of vows. They both passed away. They loved each other. They raised us five kids, but there was no faith in my home. I only heard the name of God or Jesus when somebody was upset and it was not a praise the Lord kind of a thing. Understood. And that was my background. So that when, when I became a Christian, I just thought, man, who wouldn't want to hear about this Jesus? I mean, this is amazing. And I just figured every church, what they were doing is just telling everyone they knew all around their community about Jesus because, man, what's better? And then as I began to grow as a Christian and as I moved towards becoming a pastor, I realized 
man, there's a lot of churches that love Jesus, but they don't really focus on telling about Jesus. And, and I'll tell you one more little insight. The night I became a Christian, uh, my, my first prayer ever was to receive Jesus. I'd never prayed before. Okay. My very first prayer was to receive <laughs> Jesus. My second prayer was, I just, that night I said, God, now what do I do? If you're really there and if you have me now, what do I do? And the Spirit of God just whispered very quietly in my heart, spend the rest of your life telling people about Jesus or you'll be miserable. <laughs> and when you're 15, you don't know very much, but you know you don't want to be miserable. No. So I, I said, okay. And I asked the, one of the youth leaders, I said, what do I have to do to become a pastor? And he said, dude, you've been a Christian for seven hours. It was like at a summer camp deal. He said, well, you've been a Christian like seven hours. And I said, well, I had to spend the rest of my life telling people about Jesus. And he said, well, you should probably graduate from high school. And then he kind of said, and get a Bible and start to learn about Jesus. So I felt this calling to help people know about Jesus within six or seven hours of becoming a Christian. Amen. Right on. And quite frankly, isn't that the way it should be? That should be the norm. But quite frankly, how many people, what's the latest survey show? How many people share their faith these days? Do you have that number? Well, the numbers are painfully bad, but I spent some time talking with a guy named Tom Rayner just recently, and he's uh, one of the top students of the church and evangelism. And he said, do you know how bad the evangelism movement is within the church? I said, tell me, because he knows a lot more than I do about the statistics. And basically said, they developed a tool to assess, churches do a self-assessment. And one of the questions they ask in the self-assessment to find out if a church is highly evangelistic is, do they do two events a year or two programs a year to reach their community? Two a year. Wow. And he said, with that as the standard, less than 10% of churches qualify as evangelistic churches, which means that 90% of churches in America are doing less than two things a year to reach their community. So the numbers are not encouraging. And the fact that your church is spending February focusing on this, I just want to say good job, way to go. And uh, don't back off. Let this be not the thing you do for January 2023 and you move on to the next thing. Yeah, Let this right. launch you into a future that's focused on the gospel. Well, and you know, I've seen it in your writings and the examples that you give in your videos and stuff. And basically, this is one of the places that our hearts are just totally knit together yeah. is evangelism should weave in almost everything you do. There are some things in church that are family. And it's supposed to be family, yeah. probably ties an offering to one of those things, maybe. But the deal is on every single thing, you can shift your aim. And I want you to talk about this, one yeah. degree hotter and yeah. two degrees more focused. And I have bought into that philosophy. Can you explain what that means? Hmm. Yeah. So I use two different kind of simple pictures. One is to be attentive to your own passion and engagement and outreach. The other is kind of a culture changing thing. So I developed something called the one degree rule. And all that is, is you think about a scale from one to 10, 10 would be fiery hot and one would be icy cold. And you just ask yourself every day and you ask other people around you, hey, what's your outreach passion? Are you praying for the lost, spending time with the lost, sharing stories, just being a friend, living life and, and making time to actually be around people that are far from Jesus. So I say, what's your temperature from one to 10? And somebody says, well, I'm a three right now. Just honestly, I'm about a three. I'm not icy cold, but I'm really not engaged. So here's my question. How do you raise that temperature one degree? There we go. How do you become a four? And if you're an eight, you say, how do I become a nine? Because so everyone's doing the same thing. We're just turning the heat up a little bit, raising the temperature. And then I give ways to raise that temperature by praying for the lost, spending time with the lost, sharing stories about how God, you know, you guys were talking about testimonies. You're excited about testimonies, right? Sharing testimonies, of what God is doing. Those raise the temperature for us. Reading the story of Jesus, reading the gospels, man, he loved lost people. Yeah. It fires our heart up. So the one degree rule is just asking yourself and other people, what's your outreach temperature? 
And then whatever it is, you turn it up one degree. So if somebody one day somebody says, I'm a 10, I'm at the top of the scale. I just tell them, hey, now your scale's in the 11. Yes. Turn it up one more, a little bit warmer. And then the two degree rule is something for the church. And I came up with two degree rule because I already used one degree. Right. And one degree is about temperature. Two degree is about direction. Yes. So what I tell churches is, if you look at the kind of the needle of the compass of any local church, by nature, our true north in the church is that we focus our money, our time, and our energy on people that are already part of the church. You check any church budget, any church schedule, almost everything is for us who are already part of the family. Mm -hmm. We already have Jesus. We already have the kingdom of God. We already have heaven as our home. We already have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, Paul says in Ephesians. But we just give more and more to Christians because we kind of like to do that. And I tell people, okay, then all those great things you're doing for the church that are pointing at the church, just take those wonderful things, those groups that are meeting, those church dinners, those learning opportunities, and just take those and vector them one degree yeah. away from the church and out into the community. And when you do that, all of a sudden you find out that the very things you've been doing for years for yourself will actually touch people in the community. I was talking to this one guy, a pastor, and uh, I said, well, what do you do in the church? And he described what he did in the church. And it was finances and it was just different ministries around the financial stuff. And one of the things he said is I do a thing called crossroads, which is when people are at a crossroads of their life occupationally hmm. and they're looking for a new job or they're thinking about making a change in their vocational world. And I said, well, do you invite any non-Christians to that? And he said, well, no, we pray. We talk about faith things. Non-Christians wouldn't want to come to that. Right. And I said, are you sure? Sure. I said, are there any non-Christians in your community that are struggling with their job or looking for a job that could use some encouragement? <laughs> he goes, he kind of looks at me like the lights kind of go on. And he goes, well, yeah. And I said, well, then how about if you vector out from just your people to your community? So oh, I'm not kidding. This. Three months later, I met with this guy again in a one-on-one -on -one time. And I said, tell me about what's going on in your ministry. And he had told me the first time nothing was for outreach. He looked at me, he said, everything's outreach. And I said, what are you talking about? He goes, well, says, you know that crossroads thing? He said, I told everybody, I said, listen, why don't we go? There's going to be a job fair at the Civic Center like this next month. Why don't we go and just give out business cards with information about crossroads and we'll invite non-believers or anybody who we bump into yeah. to come to our church for this time. He said, we grew from like 70 or 80 to 150 in one month. <laughs> wow. And half of them were non-believers. And when we asked these non-believers, can we pray for you for finding a new job? You know what they said? Heck yeah. <laughs> he said, I'll try, I'll try anything, man. I'm desperate. And they were starting to see people come to know Jesus. Now, here's the key. They've been doing this ministry for years. It was wonderful. It was effective. But it was only reaching believers. Mm -hmm. When they vectored it two degrees out into the community, all of a sudden it became an evangelism ministry. And here's the beauty of it. They didn't have to spend any more money, any budget, hire any staff. They just had to think differently and understand that the many of the things we do in the church that believers love, non-believers want too. We just have to invite them in. Yeah. Does that make sense? It makes every bit of sense. And I don't know if it was in your book or if somebody else used the illustration, but it is so point on. If you get on a plane in Washington, D.C., and you're shooting for like, I don't know why you'd go to LA, let's say San Diego, and you're shooting for San Diego, and you're just off by a degree or two, you yeah. end up deep in Mexico. Oh, yeah. You don't end up where you're shooting at all. So the initial intentionality of it makes all the difference in the world. And so as a church, like a church program, that's one thing. But as an individual, that intentionality is too. I don't have to be Billy Graham, just yeah. one degree hotter and two degrees more focused. And yeah. what might God do with a person like that? Wow. Yeah. Man. And Kevin, as you're saying that, you know, you think about our personal lives, 
in our home, our boys are now in their 30s and we're grandparents, but when our boys were little, we vectored our refrigerator and we vectored our above ground pool. We were in, in Michigan at the time. <laughs> we had this little above ground pool and we had a, a refrigerator in our basement. And we took both those things and said, what if those weren't just for our kids? Yeah. What if we thought about the neighborhood kids? And in the basement, we'd get like these big four liter Fago pops and we'd buy cans of soup. And my wife would shop at this place called Aldi's where you get everything really good stuff at a, yeah, yeah. At a decent price. And she'd stock up our stock up. And we were saying, we're not just going to feed our kids. We're going to make sure we're there stuff for the neighborhood kids. We're not going to just invite our kids to go swimming. We're going to invite the neighborhood kids. And I can tell you story after story of kids who came to hear about Jesus. Some of them learned about Jesus, maybe didn't make a response then. Other kids come to know Jesus, families in our neighborhood that began to be part of our family because we yeah. weren't just about us. We vectored into our neighborhood. All of your life, all of your church, just ask the question, can we take what we're already doing and just nudge it out a couple degrees beyond ourselves into our community, into our neighborhood, into our schools, into our soccer team, wherever it is. Can we nudge it out there and watch what God might do yeah. if we broaden our world a little bit? You will be blown away when yeah. you do that. And I think in your church, yeah. if you look at every ministry, you would probably find that 90% of your ministries, you'd say, you know what? We could actually vector this out a little bit and it would be just as good for, it'll be better for believers because man, when God brings you to rub shoulders with non-believers, it's always better, right? Absolutely it is. And it's an yeah. adventure and people need to get in on it. Sometimes people are a little scared, but the way that you're describing it, I know who's a lot of the folks that are listening to this podcast and they they get it. And all they have to do is think, how do I tweak this? How do I tweak that? My backyard is a perfect example. My backyard started with no grandchildren and mm -hmm. then we started having them. And so I put a sandbox in and then I put a playhouse in and then I put a 17 foot swing set in like the elementary school has. I am cunningly now getting a hot tub in my backyard <laughs> after I get my solar installed. And the deal totally, is- Totally for Jesus, totally for Jesus. It right? is because I got 20 grandkids and I want bait at my yeah. house. And the idea is bait. And in a Christian's life, bait is, how you live your life. Amen. If you're living in the fruit of the Spirit, if you're living with the character of Jesus, people are going to go, wow, you're curious. What about you? Or you yeah. just share the things that are just natural for you. Like, man, we had a great service this weekend. I can't even believe it. Those kinds of things are compelling. And people want to be a part of something that they're missing in their life. And Lord knows yeah. that the hope that's within us, yeah. so many people don't have that. Mm -hmm. Can I ask you something, Kevin? Because this has been a key for me. Yeah. I used to think that the biggest obstacle for people sharing their faith was fear, that they were afraid to mess it up, they were afraid they say the wrong thing, they were afraid that they strain the relationship. But over the years of doing this, I've changed it from fear being one to, to being two. I think that we're so busy and we're so distracted and kind of self-absorbed. And that's the thing that gets in the way of sharing my life with those around me. What do you think about that? I think it's multifaceted. There's always gonna be a fear component because the enemy loves to whisper in your ear, it's gonna go bad, you'll do a ter terrible job. So that's always gonna be there. But I think you're right. Right now, the pace that we run at in our culture, as busy as we keep our kids, as busy as we keep ourselves, all of a sudden you have a neighborhood but you don't know your neighbors. Yeah. You know, you live in an apartment complex and there's somebody right next to you and somebody above you or below you but you don't know their names. Yeah. Because we just pop in and out versus living where we are. And so there's absolutely something to slowing down, to getting to know people, to building relationships. And sometimes we have to initiate that because other people are running fast too. It's not just Christians that are running fast. Everyone's running fast. 
And again, I think that the enemy uses our pace. It's hard to have a conversation when two people are running opposite directions. They pass each other for a fraction of a second, right? And so I think we need to slow down and and really make room for people. And then I think we also have to go beyond the superficial to deeper levels. And so as we get to know people, as we laugh with them, talk with them, hear their stories, when we hear their stories about their joys and their pains, we can say, hey, can I pray for you about that? And they're open to it because we have a relationship. So it's the pace and it's the depth together. Those two things if we're going too fast, we're not going deep enough. But if we'll slow down, if we'll go deeper, it, it's not a matter of saying, I got to have this person over for dinner five nights a week. That's not the point at all. It's just slow down a little bit, make eye contact, have a conversation, and God will begin to move into that relationship. We just have to create the space. So I think that's a great insight. I want you to share some of your vision from what you've actually seen with other churches where you come in and you find a church that's motivated. Because you're not, you, you know, it's that's the way. I mean, Foothills Youth Outreach, I don't know any church in the country, and there may be, but, you know, we're having contacts with 5,000 kids a week. Yeah. Yeah. The wow. Lord told our founding pastors to go do this, and mm-hmm. so we're on dozens of campuses, after-school programs. We record this yeah. in a place called Youth Venture, mm-hmm. which is an mm-hmm. after-school clubhouse for kids where they get mentored and saved. <laughs> and then bus ministry, old school fashion bus ministry going out into the hard parts of the city to get people. So there's a motivation there. But tell me about a church or churches that you've worked with that for this adult evangelism, this sharing their faith with their neighbors and their coworkers and everything that just caught fire, because that's what I think is going to happen in Foothills. We're going to catch fire. So how does that work for you? Well, I'll start with the church I know the best because along with being an author and traveling around speaking on this and leading Organic Outreach International, leading that ministry, I'm a local church pastor still. I'm a senior pastor. I preached last Sunday and I lead our staff. And so I'm engaged in the local church. And when I came to this church, I'll describe what Shoreline Church was like when I came and see if maybe if this resonates and and maybe maybe folks at Foothill can go, that may seem familiar, but it's a church of people who believe the Bible, who love Jesus who wanted people to meet Jesus personally. And they did things in their church. It was the kind of church where you could come in as a non-believer and it wouldn't freak you out. It wasn't like, you know, these and thous and when to bow and when to knee. It wasn't none of that. It was just real. So it was a very attainable, accessible congregation, but they were not seeing this culture of evangelism running through the whole church. Even though everyone's hearts were on the right track. If you ask anyone in the church, do you want to see people come to know Jesus? They'd all say yes. Sure. And if you say, hey, tell me about in the last month or two who you've talked to about Jesus, who you've loved yeah. in the name of Jesus. They'd say, well, I want to see people come to know Jesus. I'm not kidding, but that's not really my thing. Right. And so now I would say in this church that I serve, almost any person you talk to will talk about the fact that they are now living in a different way than they ever did before because they're thinking about it on a regular basis. They're asking what their temperature is. I mean, how can I raise my temperature one degree? They're thinking about how their life connects with non-believers. I'll give you an example. There's a gentleman in our church who is a doctor and is a surgeon, and he um, he just didn't really understand that faith could come in to his medical practice, and particularly in the hospital, because this hospital is not a faith-based hospital. It's CHOMP, Community Hospital of Monterey Peninsula. And so about 14 years ago, when I came to the church, that was his outlook. Probably 10 years ago, I had a conversation with him, and he said, you know, I'm starting to ask people before I do a surgery, if you'd care for it, I'd be honored to just say a quick prayer for you. He said, the first time I did it, I thought I'd get in trouble. I thought the nurses would give me a strange look. And he said, and the person said, oh, doctor, would you? And he said, I didn't ask him if they were Catholic or Muslim or Christian. I just said, could I pray for you? 
And he said, since then, in every surgery I've done, I've asked that question. He said, I've never had a doctor push back. I've never had a nurse push back. I've never had a patient push back. Right on, right on. So beautiful. And he said, and I always pray in the name of Jesus. And then when they're in my office as a follow-up, they'll often ask me questions about that. And he said, I've invited dozens of people to our church because they're trying to find a spiritual home of some sort. And they don't even know where to start. And I can tell you about another guy. He's in wealth management. He manages over $2 billion. It's a, a, his own office, and he manages a lot of money. And when I first started teaching these things in the church, he came up to me one time and he said, I get it, Pastor, that people are supposed to live this in their work, but you don't understand. And this is not in any of my books because this is more current, but he says, in my work, if I offend somebody, I could lose like a $100 million account from managing investment for this hospital or for this organization or for this college. And he said, I just can't risk that. And I said, you know what, just, just, and you know, talk about being organic. Said, well, just pray about it. And if, maybe there'll come a time where it feels appropriate. And he goes, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, I guess so. And you can tell he's like, I don't think that's going to happen. And then about three or four months later, he came up to me and he said, I got to tell you something. I was talking to a guy who I invest for. He's one of my top clients. And he said, he's got cancer. Hmm. And he was talking to me about his cancer. And I just felt in my heart like God was saying, offer to pray, offer to pray, offer to pray. And I'm thinking, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. <laughs> and he said to me, I finally just said, listen, this might seem really weird. I don't mean to offend you in any way, but if you'd like to, I'd really love to pray for you right now. And he says, this guy said, would you do that for me? Oh, man. And he said, I'd be honored to. So now turn the clock ahead four months. And this guy's going in for a surgery that's going to define his future. This guy's going in for a surgery that he could lose his life or come out of the surgery and say, okay, you, you've got a pretty short-term prognosis here. Mm -hmm. And he came to me and a couple other people, and he said, listen, will you pray for me? I'm sending this guy a book that walks through the gospel, and I'm giving him a prayer that if he wants to receive Jesus, that he could pray a prayer to receive Jesus. He said, I'm not ready to do it verbally, but I'm going to send him this book. And I told him, will you read this, what I'm going to send you, and then let's talk on the phone before you go into surgery. And so he said, would you just pray for that? And he asked me and a couple other people. So we prayed for him. Surgery happens after the surgery. He calls me back and he says, I got to tell you what happened. He says, remember that guy I told you that I was going to pray for? And I said, oh yeah, I remember. He says, remember I told you I was going to send him that book? And so yeah, I said, well, I asked him, I said, you know, did you read that chapter? And he said, yeah. And he said, now that prayer I sent you, did you pray that prayer? And he says, the guy said to him, he said, I prayed it five times. He said, I want to make sure I got it right. Oh, man. <laughs> and this financial investment guy now is discipling a guy he was investing money for, and he's now investing in his life for the kingdom. And that guy is now investing money in a hospital in Guatemala. Come on. And he's investing money that's led by all pastors and Christian doctors. And this guy's now investing, not just the investor, but the guy he's investing for, he's beginning to invest in things in the kingdom. That's what happens when you vector a couple degrees. And when you start to say, this isn't just for those crazy Amen. evangelists, this is for all of us. I can tell you story after story of people who would say, I can't do this where I am. And when they feel the Holy yeah. Spirit lead them and they respond, they realize, yes, I can, and God's going to bear fruit. Amen. And I can tell you another 50 stories. That's just a sample. Yeah, those really touch my heart. And I think that's the most important thing, Kevin. Maybe you can help me with this specifically. Because we're launching this, and it's certainly, it's the starting line. It's not a one month and get the right. heck out and go back and eat Handles ice cream every day for a year. Sounds so good. This is, <laughs> it does sound good. <laughs> but this is the getting started point. Yeah. But that motivates me. That gets me excited. That makes me want some of that. And I don't know if everybody's built that way, but everybody needs to come up with their own why. Yeah. 
Yes. Yeah. Why? Because that's why they'll stick with it. That's why mm-hmm. they'll talk about degrees when they get up in the morning. That's why they'll be intentional. And that's why if they, quote, fail, if there's a way to fail in this endeavor, but the why will start them off and keep them going. So I've heard illustrations and people have shared with me why they share Jesus. But what's the why that motivates somebody to get off the evangelism couch and get involved? What's the why? I could share a number of things. I'd say that one of the biggest ones is if someone says, I'm a Christian and I'm a disciple, I want to become more like Jesus. I mean, isn't isn't the basic definition of a disciple someone who's following Jesus, right? Yep. Yes. Well, where is Jesus going? He's going to the lost sheep. He's going to the broken, the forgotten. You read the Gospels and Jesus just keeps bumping into <laughs> broken people, hurting people, uh, people who are possessed by the demonic, people who are controlled by the world, people who are owned by the things that they think they own, but those things own them. In every one of these situations, Jesus wants them to be free. Mm. And so I think one of the biggest whys is to say, because I want to be more like my Savior, and Jesus is always going towards the lost and the broken, and if our heart is becoming more like the heart of Jesus, we want to see people free. We want to see people delivered from their addictions, delivered from being possessed by sin, delivered by being possessed by all of the spiritual darkness that's happening in our world all around us. So I would say to your listeners and to your congregational members, just slow down and look at the people in your life that don't know Jesus. Mm. Look closely at them. And they may look fine on the outside. They may look broken on the outside, but a lot of people look, I know San Diego County, people are good looking people. Let me tell you. Yeah, almost uh, they, exclusively. They looking good. And if not, they're going to get a surgery and make sure they're looking good. You know, but it's, <laughs> and that's, that's true through LA and that's true up to where I am. I mean, it's just like, so people are looking good, right? But I'm not talking about just stopping and looking at their physical appearance. Look at their life, look at their heart, and you're going to see longing and brokenness and searching. And, and there's people that go after, they just dive into one mess after another, looking for something that will satisfy. And it's like being thirsty for water and drinking salt water. All it does is makes you more thirsty. People are drinking from every well, every source. They're trying this experience, that experience, this person, that person, and they just continue to feel empty. So I would say, slow down, look at people. And here's the why. When you recognize that they aren't satisfied, they look good on the outside, but they're dying on the inside, and you know what will satisfy their soul. You know that Jesus is the living water that refreshes, that just percolates up and comes and not only will fill their soul, but one day overflow through them to someone else. I was that person as a young person growing up in Orange County. I was a surf punk. I was just a kid who wanted to have fun and mess around, and but I was trying everything, and I was never satisfied. When I met Jesus, not only did he satisfy me, but he began to overflow for me to other people. So slow down, look at people, recognize that they aren't as satisfied as they look. They're not as happy as they look. And Jesus has what they are longing for. And we have it to offer to them in his name. And then on top of that, he's called us to do that. He's invited us into that journey. Yeah. It's like that old illustration of having the cure for an incredibly horrible disease and not sharing it. Every one of us that love Jesus and call him savior, we receive that. So not to share that. It's kind of like Penn Jillette. You know, he's this atheist who says, how much do you have to hate somebody not to, not to share this with them? And he's not even a Christian. So how much does that mean to us? Yeah. Yeah. He's an avowed atheist. And he said, I'm an about atheist, but he said, if I, I see a truck bearing down on somebody and it's going to kill him, I don't care about them. I, he says, I'm pushing them out of the way. Yeah. At some point, I start moving. And he says, I'm an atheist. I don't believe. But he said, I don't respect Christians who don't want to share yeah. their faith. Come on. Yeah. Well, I think those are calls to action for sure. 
and I'm excited about it. I think two things. One is I would like to know, Kevin, if there's one grand point that you'd like to drive home to everybody as we start this off. And number two, I would just love for you to pray for everybody that they would get involved with this and not just here at Foothills. This goes to a lot of countries and throughout the U.S. Uh, You know, there's no reason why it should just be one church. That's for dang sure. Yeah, yeah. So let me give you one grand point for your congregational members as individuals, and then I'll give you one grand one for your congregation as a whole. Is that okay? All right. Okay, I think a really big takeaway I want to give to you as an individual is this. Outreach is for you. Sharing faith is for you. 1 Peter 3.15, I know you guys know that one pretty well. We're exhorted to always be prepared, always ready for whoever it is to give an account for the hope that's in us. That's the hope of Jesus. And I love this, but do it with gentleness and respect. It's the right spirit we do it in, right? Naturally, organically. And so as an individual, would you just simply say, this is for me. I need to be part of this. It's it's not just for this extroverted, kind of crazy, uh, can't shut their mouth, you know, wild-eyed, you know, wild-haired crazy people that want to go preach on the street corners. It's for everybody. I remember when I was writing Organic Arts for Ordinary People, which would be the first book you would have read, Kevin, in that series. Uh, When I was writing that book, I was talking to a college student and he asked me what I was working on in terms of writing. And I told him about the book. He's, oh yeah. He said, I'm not an evangelist at all. I don't like to share my faith. It makes me really nervous. And and I said to him, well, the book I'm writing is for the 97% of Christians that don't have the calling of the evangelist or the gifting, but they're a Christian that's supposed to share their faith. And so he said, well, how far are you in the book? And I said, well, it's in manuscript form. I gave him a copy of the manuscript to read. I said, just read a couple chapters and just tell me what you think I want to hear from a college student. And he comes back to me in about a month and he goes, I read the whole thing. And I said, well, what do you think? He said, he said I think I'm an evangelist. I said, well, what do you mean? He says, well, I can do anything in your book. I can do any of those things. And I said, well, that's the point. This book is not for the evangelist. This book is for Christians. Yeah. I said, I don't think you have the gift of the evangelist because that's a very specific gifting, but every Christian is supposed to be called to be prepared to give an account for the hope that's in them. It's supposed to be salt and light. I said, what, you are, what you're saying is you're a Christian. So I, I'd say to all your individuals in your church, as a believer in Jesus, you're called to shine that light. And this month of February, find ways to do that. And then for your congregation as a whole, as an entire church, simply say, this is for us. This isn't a one-month emphasis. Mm. This is a launching into a new future where we have a fresh focus on loving people well, praying for lost people, inviting them, sharing our stories, that we're going to go on this journey together, but it's not going to be a 30-day journey. It's going to be a journey until Jesus returns again. Amen. That would be my encouragement. That is perfect. And I want to tell people before I release you to pray over us and launch us into this, I've got a stockpile of organic outreach for ordinary people, and I'm going to give it away to anybody who asks until I run out, and then it'll be on our resource page. It's actually on our resource page. I don't know if you knew that, but on our website, sin315.org, your stuff's up there because it's just so valuable and Mm -hmm. so important. So you can get it for free, and would you close us in prayer? Yeah, yeah. Lord Jesus, we close this time just acknowledging that you are here with us wherever any person is listening to this right now driving down the road, on a treadmill, running, sitting with friends, wherever they are, if they're listening right now, Jesus, you are there, you're present. And Jesus, you put us in places every day where people need your love, they need your truth, they need your grace, they need to hear your story and our stories of how you've changed our lives. Jesus, you are present and at work. And God, our prayer is very simple, that in our individual lives, in the life of your church, every church, but in the life of your church, that you would move in fresh and powerful and beautiful ways, that you would be lifted up And as you're lifted up, people will be drawn to you. 
and be changed forever. Jesus, this is our prayer. Fill us, use us, love through us. Let our mouth speak your truth and your goodness and your glory. And when you draw people to yourself, we will delight and celebrate and we will give you all the praise. We pray this in your name and for your glory. And Lord, I also want to pray for the ministry of this podcast and the ministry of the church, that you would just do great and glorious things for the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 We receive that. Thank you.